warped by the rain, driven by the snow. I'm drunk and dirty, don't you know? And I'm still willing. And I was out on the road late at night. I seen my pretty Alice in every headlight. Alice, Dallas, Alice. And I've been from Tucson to Tucumcari To have to beat a ton of ball Driven every kind of rig that's ever been made Driven the back road so I wouldn't get way And if you give me So this episode of Dopey on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit is brought to you by Aloe Recovery, located in southern sunny California, in Silver Lake, and Malibu, and a few other places down there. Aloe is the place to go if you are fucked and struggling and need a place to get well. Their staff has a combined 675 years of experience treating addiction and mental health problems. Their clinical director, Dr. Dina Mannion, has three decades of experience treating addiction and mental health disorders. Their doctors are board-certified addictionologists, multidisciplinary care team with a psychiatrist, master's, and doctoral-level therapist to treat co-occurring and underlying mental health problems. If I was uh, in trouble and I needed a place to go, I would go to Aloe. Uh, mostly because uh, it's Bob Forrest's place. And Bob Forrest says great things about it, and I know him and his friend Evan and their friend Bob created Aloe um, so that addicts can go to a place where they feel respected. And um, and I think that's worth everything. And I have a friend who is at Aloe right now, and he says everything that I say about Aloe is true, especially the amenities, surfing, although I don't think he surfed yet, horseback riding, sweat lodges, and of course, the amazing sound bath meditation. Uh, If you're fucked, go to Aloe, check it out. It's very exciting. We also have a new ad from Just Coffee Co-op Company. And the Just Coffee Co-op Company is a worker-owned coffee roaster dedicated to creating and expanding a model of trade based on transparency, human dignity, and environmental sustainability. They build long-term relationships with small-scale coffee growers to bring you a truly incredible cup of coffee. And they sent me some of this coffee, and it really is good. They sent me the—my favorite is the dark roast. Linda likes the lighter roast. Everybody likes the medium roast. And it's exciting if you— you guys want to support Dopey and you want to support uh, Just Coffee, you go to justcoffee.coop and you slash discount slash DopeyPod, and in April you'll get 30% of all the coffee. So they will send you coffee at a discounted rate. And uh, if you do it with uh, DopeyPod as the code, you will receive a total of 35% off in April. So go to justcoffee.coop. Uh, Co-op, J-U-S-T-C-O-F-F-E-E dot co-op and support them.
And here is the show. Hello, and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I'm Dave. And um, we have this guest today, and I'm very surprised he decided to come on so quickly. So I'm not as researched as I'd like to be. It's uh, the host of the Jason Ellis Show, professional skateboarder, mixed martial art master. What would you call yourself? (laughs) Jason Ellis. Jason Ellis, everybody. Here we go. Welcome. All right. Great to be here. Would would you call yourself? It's very hard to have me on the show, man. All you can do is ask. I know, man. It happened too quickly. Normally, Normally, there's a whole flirtation. There's a dance. Yeah, no, I don't, I, I'm not very flirtatious. So I just get to the point. Good. Sorry. Would you say you're a mixed martial arts master? No, not at all. I would say uh, mixed martial bullshit artist. All right, mixed martial arts enthusiast, maybe. Yeah, there you go. Well, when I was years and years ago, uh, I listened to. I was uh, addicted to heroin, and I was listening to the Howard Stern show every day, forever. Yeah. And I heard you come on for the first time, and uh, you were a professional skateboarder from Australia, and I think you admitted to being a heroin addict, and the thing that really caught my eye, though, is that you idolized Howard the way I did. Uh, did you? Is yeah. this true? Yeah. I only, I only know one radio guy, really. I've never really... I mean, I know other radio guys now because I'm in radio, but I only know how it's done. It's, everything else is just like a commercial radio so yeah he was like uh elvis of radio yeah i see him more like he's elvis but he's so soulful so i don't know what is i guess elvis is very soulful too though so Some fuck people it. say um do you like elvis uh yeah he's cool yeah i like elvis too um I listen to him. and uh and i i always had it in my head that I wanted to be like Howard, so I noted that we had a similar ambition. I wound up uh, falling down a hole of total drug abuse, and you wound up getting a show on Sirius. Uh, how did you do well, it? How old are you? I'm 44. When did see when? But when were you on heroin? Because my story when I told Howard Stern that I did heroin, I was many many years past that. And usually, if you do heroin, even if you turn your life around, shit doesn't just pop up rosy straight away it used to be a period of digging deep and working your way back into society so I feel like by the time I was on the Stern show talking about doing heroin with prostitutes because I know the story you're talking about that was a long time ago when I was telling that story That was I was a different person like I, when I told that story if you, if you couldn't pay me to do heroin again give me the timeline a little bit shit I mean Stern show when I talked about doing heroin. I'm trying to think how many years ago that was. I think it was probably. I bet it was like in the, you know, I would say it was in the maybe 2000, possibly. 2000. Okay, well, this is probably, you know, when I did heroin, I was my first marriage. I'd say it was probably 20 years ago, something like that. Okay. So the last time you, you did dope was 20 years ago. Yeah. All right, well, that's cool. How did you get into it in the first place? You were a skateboarder. What was the story? I moved back to, I mean, I've always done drugs. I've always drank, and when I was just a pro skateboarder, I did all the drugs anyone had, but I would never do heroin because I used to have a couple friends that shot up that made it look bad to me. I was like, oh, God, that's what it looks like when you do that? Fuck that. And then... uh, what looked bad uh, about it though? The blood, the needle. Yeah, so the- one of my friends, I, one of my friends shot his girlfriend up in front of me, and they missed the vein, and then they had to find another vein, and and 
the blood in the needle and putting it in another hole and them just not giving a shit about the other hole and just being super concerned with what's in the in the needle to inject them and then what they turned into afterwards like they didn't turn into a conversation also when they did it they just fucking fell asleep and I was like alright well good talking to you guys so I was like why would I want to do that unless I really wanted to give up and that's kind of uh, I just when I moved back to Australia from being a pro skateboarder I felt like everything was kind of over and the person I was with was a fucking nightmare and I just started smoking heroin because somebody told me that in skate someone told me that in America I smoked black tar heroin so I knew you could chase the dragon so when I got super sad living in uh, Australia because there was nobody that skateboarded anymore and so I just hung out by myself all day so I couldn't stay sober enough for skateboarding to for people to show up and skate so I just started getting high all day and then I got my heroin from prostitutes because I didn't want to tell anybody that I was doing heroin. Right. <laughs> and then uh, I was like, fuck this dragon shit, let's let's shoot up. And then I got two hookers and a bunch of heroin and I thought to myself, these are junkies, so they won't give me all the heroin, so I won't OD. And then I passed you figured You figured they would keep enough heroin because they're greedy junkies, so like you wouldn't get enough to die. Basically, yeah. Okay. Because yeah, I was really scared they were going to OD me. Because I, yeah, I mean, I'd never done heroin injected before, but I just felt like these two were so into it that they weren't. Get, they were like they were going to take it all from me. I, I was barely going to get a taste, but I got a, a giant taste. I like passed out, woke up in a park. They robbed me, left me in some park where people that look like me in this park at like three in the morning can die so I just got up and walked off in the dark and swore I would never do that again that worked out was that the only time you only did it once yeah I only shot up once oh my goodness what was your what was your drug career like before that or after that like uh well after that I didn't do heroin ever again I've done painkillers but I do painkillers because uh something's hurt so it sounds really like thing. it sounds like all of your uh, your career, except for radio, involves a lot of pain. You know, falling off a skateboard or getting punched in the face, or you know, having to fall down or getting kicked in the stomach or whatever. That's a lot of pain everywhere, right? Yeah, I like that though. You you like the pain? I still do it. I, I'm, it's my biggest thing is how do I do stuff that involves pain and and, and danger uh, without being too irresponsible and still walk the next day because I'm 47 I got all these injuries from falling over all the time you what do you like about the pain uh I don't know so much about the actual pain but it's just if the, without the pain then 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 what would be the fear or, or the danger what it, you know I mean like there has to be a consequence so that it's not so much the, the pain that I like it's the dodging it facing consequences that could be painful right it's like the wild aspect like because i'm a total pussy and i i fear pain a lot and like i've avoided getting hit my whole life when i was a kid i grew up in manhattan and we were all skateboarding and i realized i fell off the board early and i was one of these pussies that would skateboard around the neighborhood on my knees because i was scared because oh, wow. fa- i was scared to fall off the skateboard you know what i mean and this is a you know a huge regret and a, a huge place for shame but yeah. you and i to your own, man. I feel like because I did that at that Ellis Man, because I had a couple fights, and not really being a fighter, I got to get a taste of what it's like. And some people, 
I feel like some guys have to have a fight. They might not know it, but they have to have one. But some guys don't, and they don't need, and they shouldn't, and they don't need to feel bad about it. Like it is kind of stupid if you're doing it in an angry way. Well, I, I appreciate that because I've I've avoided. I've never had a fight in my whole life. I've never yeah, you had. Don't need to, you don't need to. It's like some people just don't. Like I used to not understand why people wouldn't want to do what I do. For the longest time, I'd be like, why wouldn't you want to jump off this? Why wouldn't you want to fly into the air? And I'm like, because some people don't, even if they could do it, it doesn't, it wouldn't interest them. It's kind of like, uh, you know, a nickelback doesn't interest me, but it interests somebody. Yeah, I don't understand that either. Um, somebody does. Yeah. Um, what was I going to ask you? When you were, when you became a pro skater, how old were you? Um, I think... Well, the first time I actually got paid, I was 16, so... In Australia. We have a huge yeah. Australian fan base, by the way. I know you think our you show do? is nothing. we got fucking at least 5,000 people right now listening in Australia. Shut the fuck up. I swear to God, the Dopey Nation. You have the Ellis fam. We have the Dopey Nation. I, I don't think you realize how the Dopey... I don't realize, you're right. Yeah. I don't realize anything. I don't I, listen to anybody or anything. I just go to work and that's it. I just keep going. Do you still <laughs> Do you still listen to Howard? Uh, sometimes not as much. I listen to music way more. I kind of got into, uh, it's weird. I, I just listen to soul music whenever I'm in the car. I, I listen to, now I listen to audiobooks of Christopher Hitchens. That's all I've got right now. You're listening to audiobooks of Christopher Hitchens and soul music. What kind of soul music? Uh, what do I, what did it start as? I'm Sly, Family Stone. Yeah. One of my, started with James Brown, but now I'm Curtis Mayfield. What right. else am I going? What's Sam? Is it Sam Cooke? Yeah, sure. That's good stuff. Yeah. I love that stuff. Yeah. But I want to hear. Yeah, I, I want to hear about your adventure coming to the states among like the, the upper echelon of uh, of skateboarders. What was that about? You mean coming to America and trying to turn pro here? Yeah. Well, I I came here with no money, just uh. I heard a friend of mine knew Lance Mountain and said that we could stay at Lance's house when we got there. So my parents were like, okay, sounds like you're okay. And I saved up for a plane ticket. I think my father gave me a, uh, a credit card that no longer worked and said, just show them that if they ask for money and break it. Just make sure you snap it and put it in the trash when you get out of the airport. Well, what do you then, mean? What do you mean? He gives you the well, credit he was like, card. I'm not, you're not using it. He's like, if that, he told, that was one of the things I always remember my father saying it was good. You should never have a credit card. Right. He obviously had a lot of credit card debt when he was alive. So I always remembered. I, I'm not, I can't lie, and I probably shouldn't get into credit card debt. Just certain things that I've always believed about myself, and I feel like that has paid off. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah, I came here, slept on uh, Lance's house, and slept on people's couches and then I went to a contest where Ben Schroeder and his brothers did the craziest shit I've ever seen his brother fell off in the mini ramp contest and ran up the vert ramp and jumped off the handrail of the vert ramp over to the mini ramp landed on the fat, flat bottom of the mini ramp broke the flat bottom broke his trucks and then his brother Ben Schroeder pulled the fence down in in celebration while watching his brother skate in the mini ramp <laughs> contest and I was like these dudes right. are the coolest dudes in the world and then uh, I think I got in an argument with my friends so I was just walking down the street by myself and then Ben drove by in a car and was like what are you doing fucking foreigner that's what he called me and he was like come live with me 
I lived with him and at his mum's at his parents' house for six months. Wow, that's <laughs> sweet. Awesome. And how did you wind up becoming the you you hold the Guinness Book of World Records for dropping into a seventy oh. foot ramp? What is that yeah, about? That's bullshit. Danny Way jumped out of a helicopter, and I guess they called that a world record bomb drop. So then Guinness Book of Records called him and said, "Do you want to break your own record? We'll pay you ten grand." And Danny was like, "Ten grand? Go fuck yourselves!" And he's like, "I know somebody who'll do that for ten grand, though." So <laughs> that I was, was you. I was friends with Danny. Daddy just called me and said, hey, man, you want to make 10 grand? I'm like, fuck, yeah, I do. He's like, just jump off this thing and break my record. Who gives a shit? Because it's not a record. It's a, you know what I mean? Like, he understands. Uh, um, let's be realistic here. I was pretty good and at the time. Was that the record? Yeah, sure. But who's better? Daddy Way. That's, that's the end of the story. I hear you. So, like. So, yeah, I had, a, I had a record. It's in a book, but it's not real. Now, one thing I could ne- – well, it's real. You did it. You got, you're got. you in the book. You got paid. It's real. You know what I mean? Don't put yourself down. It's something. Right? I can live with it. It's okay. Um, the question I have is, like, I want to hear about, like, how – was there a ton of drugs on the circuit? Like, how did you become somebody who wound up being a drug addict? Well, everybody drank in Australia, and I think I didn't realize until I came here that I drank kind of fast – and it was it was kind of okay to go from you know zero to a hundred where I was from, and then the people I just linked up with skateboarders that were interested in the same thing. After skateboarding at night, you just you know, I mean whoever's up is is that person, and drinking turned into trying to stay awake, and then drugs started showing up. And I'd already done ecstasy and stuff in Australia, and. Uh, wait, I did mushrooms First time I did mushrooms in America too But the, when the cocaine showed up Is when everybody started going too far That's to me was I did a bunch of E's, E-bombers But it wasn't I still skateboarded all the time I didn't not go to the ramp But the cocaine when, in, when I was in San Diego That was when it kind of got I remember telling everybody We're going too far And one time I hooked up with a girl And I got some coke And I did a line And she was like What the fuck is wrong with you? And I'm like, what? It's like nobody does cocaine like that. I'm like, I didn't, I don't even know what you're talking about. Because I just used to blow a bunch of it out of my face. Right, you did some massive fucking lines <laughs> or whatever, and uh, yeah, and we would just stay up for a couple of days and do, you know be stupid, pull my nose hairs out and shit, which is, and then smoke and crack because my nose didn't work anymore. Right, just that you know things like that where I'm like, man, that's going way too far. <laughs> How long did I mean I, I did the same stuff? How long did it go for? Ten years, <laughs> right? Right. I mean, maybe longer. I guess I, when I got older, I started to back it off a little bit because I felt like I started to get sick from it. But did you yeah, feel I like? Think... Did you feel like you had any sort of classic bottom with all this stuff? Like what? What? Uh, what? Like you know, I, I remember the cocaine one where I was like, "If nobody's doing, everybody's in this house, and nobody goes anywhere and does anything, and everybody's going under." And we went to a trade show. I paid to go to a San Diego trade show to skate, but instead of skateboarding, I was in the room, in a hotel room with my friend who was a video, a videographer, and he left the room one time, and I saw him cross to go to the trade show and watched him turn around and come back in. So we did three days in there, and I just, I was like, I used to love the trade show, and I didn't even go see it. Right. And I look like shit. And and I, and I you know these I get uh, I had many rock bottoms that got me back in 
those ones are the ones where I was like, you know what, I'm not even going to drink anymore either. So, you know, I do the full sober thing, get back on a mission. And then if I do well in a couple of contests, I get drunk. If somebody's got blow, we're back in it. Maybe not as hard as before. I won't do crack again. So it always, you know, it would be a little bit less, but it was never completely over. It was just like a little tamer when it, because after certain ones where, you know, you, you tell the story of, to someone and they're like, dude, he could have died a lot of times in that one story. I'm like, yeah, I know, right? So then, so it's always been every year a little bit better. Is there is there a particular closer to death story that you can remember? Because our fans love the close to death stories, especially when you get to live. Because not everybody gets to live, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I've... I don't know. I don't know about that one because I would. I never went to a hospital for an OD. Okay. It's more like I. I really feel like the worst one was just letting those two hookers shoot me up because I don't know what happened and I must have been unconscious. So I don't know how good. I don't know how great things were going, but all the other times I just. Here, Jason, uh, hold on for one second. Uh, You can see how professional I am. I'm recording at my father's kitchen, and the phone won't stop fucking ringing. But that's, that, that's how popular my father is. Hold on. He does sometimes. My dad is a big fan favorite of the show. Um, and he's also, he's, he's, he's traveled to Australia. Now, what I'm interested in, really, um, you know, I love, we love the, the horrible stories of drug abuse, and we love the stories of recovery, and your story of recovery is zigzagged, and, um, and in the unfortunately brief amount of research I did on you, I hate to admit that, but I didn't do enough research, so I apologize to you and to our fans and your fans, but I did listen to a, a couple of Howard Stern shows with you on it on my way home from work today, and, um, and he was, you were talking about sexual trauma. Like uh, with with your dad, and it's very serious stuff. I, I rarely talk about sexuality at all on Dopey for whatever reason, but um, you know, do you, you want to talk about that a little bit, or is it <laughs> too much? Molested by my father. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't mean to throw it out there like just on a plate, like That's ridiculous. All, I, I mean, it happened. I, I didn't know that it happened until I was forty that it was him. But really. Yeah, because I knew somebody did. I took a, a bunch of LSD and meth, and it was after some demo. And then I had an imaginary friend tell me that my father molested me. And my girlfriend was watching at the time, and then she told my mom, and my mom was like, I thought he would have forgotten that. So you're, wait, hold on. You're 40 years old. You're tripping yeah. LSD. No, 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 no. This is, no, I was 20, no, I was 23 when I was, when I found out I was molested. But then I didn't know it was my father until I was 40. Well, how did you find out when you were 23? Could you explain that? I don't remember it until the next day when my girlfriend told me, you had an imaginary friend. You had a full-on conversation in the pool where everyone was trying to get you out. And then I said, oh, I've got, I've got him. And then I told this person told me that my father molested me. And then my girlfriend told my mother. And my mother said, I thought it was he was too young to remember. It wasn't his father. It was the next door neighbor. And he said that it was his father. That's what that was the whole mix up. Wow. Like it's like a sudden, memory implanting implant thing. You know, somebody right, trying to change. And then all of a sudden I realized that this is an actual thing that has happened to me. And now I'm like, wait, mom, really? The neighbor? Like she's like, oh, he's babysitted. I guess he. But you said it was your dad. And then. 
I didn't think, um, you know, I mean, I remember thinking, whatever, I'm from, it didn't shake me that much when I knew that. I was just like, shit happens. Right. And then I remember my father saying, uh, when I saw him the next time, he's like, do you think you got molested? I was like, yeah. And he said, do you think it was me? I was like, nah. He's like, oh. And then that's it. I've never spoke about it again. And then I just moved on with my life, just knowing that, never really thinking about it. And then more and more through the years, I would just start to see things and be like, oh, wow. I actually remember things happening in the scenario of it. And then uh, I got a divorce when I was 40 and I went to some rehab fucking facility because I started drinking again. I just put myself in rehab because I was worried I was going to do the stories that I was telling you. And I'm like, I'm, you can't do coke when you're 40. I just was like, I, well, you can I'm obviously, like, but yeah, I just, well, I know, but I, I don't, I don't want to, I got kids. I really want to stay alive. So I was like, I'm going to go rehab, make sure I don't do anything too stupid. And then I saw some fucking therapist or whatever. And what is it when they do the hypnosis regression? Hypnosis shit. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then I started to remember way more of who it was and what happened and the whole fucking thing. And it was him. It was my dad. It wasn't a fucking neighbor. And then I looked more into it and my dad didn't even kill the neighbor or beat up the neighbor. My dad used to punch people in the face for looking funny at him. Right. So I just had to come to the unfortunate conclusion that it was him. And then I talked to my stepmom about it. She didn't believe me. My brother didn't believe me. And then they found out all this weird stuff about him because he passed away a couple, like 10 years before that. But So your father was, was dead when you found out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that makes it not, you know, I, I'm sure it's easy. Is it, what does it do for you to find that out? Does it fuck you up? Are you in, are you in the bathtub? Where are you? I'm in my jacuzzi. Nice. Yeah, I'm living there. All right. Hey, man, you're in your dad's kitchen. I'm in the jacuzzi. These are the streets. Yeah, this is, that's, it's amazing. It's amazing, amazing contrast. I'm on a rainy day on the 21st floor in Manhattan. You're in fucking Southern California in your jacuzzi, uh, about to fucking talk to Playboy about your bisexual lifestyle. Yeah, I'm a bit weird about that one. Well, lifestyle. No, I'm trying to help people. It ain't about my lifestyle. I don't want to be a rock and roll star with my penis. I just want people to not be mean to people for being gay or trans or whatever. Well, that's a much nicer way than to gloat to Playboy about all the people you get to have sex with and such. Um, well, some people don't want to have sex with the people I have sex with. You know that? Explain. A lot of guys don't want to have sex with guys. That should do it, right? So you're. What do you I, explain? What do you it's mean? Not all, it's, not, it's not what it's all cracked up to be. If you're not me. Oh, of yeah. course, of course. You do what you want to do, which is the whole point. How how do you think, though, all that coming to terms with molestation had to do with your addiction? Do you think? Because I'm sure there's a ton of people who are listening who are addicts who had similar kinds of traumas, and the trauma triggered their addiction. Oh hell yeah! No, maybe you want to use maybe you want to use totally again. Yeah, the, since I'm 47, the last seven years, I started drinking again, smoking weed. But you know, I mean, I, I do shrooms. I totally started doing stuff again, and I started doing it too much, too. How old are your like kids? That. 14 and 10. All right. I have I have a 9-year-old and, uh, and a 10-month-old, okay? Oh, wow. And, uh, and, and I'm 44, and I've been sober off of everything for four years, okay? Or, or not even four years, three and a half years. I'll be, it'll be four years in the summer. Um, thank you. Um, what? Because I also heard about on the Stern show that Dax Shepard, you yep. know, 
you know, recovery yeah, warrior I went guy. To AA for a year and a half. What'd you think? I just got too sad being sober. You didn't like it. I just, I just thought, like, uh, I can't do it. I couldn't live like that anymore. I did all the things that you do. You meditate and you eat or fucking exercise or whatever. And I was like, man, I'm just lame. Surely there can be like a happy medium here. You weren't happy, joyous, and free when you were sober. Fuck no. And I was doing so many other things that it was getting dangerous. Like I started, I don't think I did it right. I don't think I did the steps right. I don't want to talk shit on anybody. No. I just, I felt, but I felt like I didn't, I wasn't getting what I, what I wanted out of it fast enough. And in a year and a half, I was like, I don't know what step I'm at. I don't even really get to talk to the person that's my sponsor. I'm kind of over it. And I have I have problems with my sponsor too. Smoking cigars and drinking O'Doul's. It's just bullshit. And then I go to the meeting and they're all chewing that fucking Nicorette shit that makes my head spin. Right. I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna smoke weed. Fuck you guys. And I don't I don't think it's right, but for me, it's it works for me. I'm a happier person day to day. I smoke weed if I go to the gym. I still go. I still work out. I do my sh- my show, my job. I never don't show up. I fucking come through all the time. And if I don't. Well then, I'm going. I'm going to rehab for fucking marijuana if that if that ever happened. What happened to me the last time? Uh, I had went to rehab, and um, you know I was a stoner, but I was a heroin addict, and I took pills also. I just never drank, and um, and I came out, and I and I had to get time together to get custody of my kids to oh, see them. Wow. You know, so uh, oh, okay, you went through a lot. My girlfriend That's- was like. I'm not going to let you see them without your father if you don't show 12 months clean, including weed. And I loved weed. You know what I'm saying? I was the stoner. You got got yourself in a different situation. I was, I I understand. Divorce is, that's, yeah. Well, no, but. but No, 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 no. No, no, no. But what happened was I I wound up kind of white knuckling it for 18 months. And then there was a hurricane and I started smoking pot again. And I had gotten my 12 months. So I had gotten my visitation and, uh, and I was seeing my kids and or my kid at the time and um and i was smoking pot and then occasionally like i was i would be internet dating and and i would hook up with somebody who had pills so i would take pills every once in a while and like i did dope once and it was bad uh but i i had i was on some path where i was doing a couple of benzos in the month a couple of percocets in the month and i was smoking pot and then I was always trying to reconcile with my – she wasn't my wife. She was my, my daughter's mother. But I say my wife because it's easier. Right. Um, and I was always trying to reconcile. And then we were about to reconcile and the shit fell apart. And she was like, that's it. You're losing custody again until you show time. And I was like, what am I holding on to this weed for if I can't have my family? So I just fucking I, – I, I went to AA and I worked AA in a, in a, a more comprehensive way than I had before. And I felt like, you know, it was something that my old friend had said to me. He said, if you can smoke pot and not do anything else, hats off to you. But if you can't, that's when you need to, to take a look at it, which is kind of what you're right. saying. Right. Yeah, no, if I got triggered into doing stuff that stopped me from being me, then, that, yeah, that would be, that, then I would just go, I would wrap myself out, man. I can't lie. I was, I'm the worst liar ever. Well, you did tell me on Monday we were supposed to do this, and I had problems at home. And you told me you had gone to some trans awards the night before, and you were yeah. too, you were totally hungover. So how? Yeah, that was that was as hard as I go. Well, so that's like once, that's what the, the last time I went that hard was when I went on vacation with my wife. So you are are you are remarried, right? Yep. 
And how's that? Awesome. Nice. And you just said, though, you feel like you're going a little too hard. Do you feel like that, yeah. or are you just saying that because I'm no, sober? I, no, on that day, I went, I went too hard, for sure. I put myself in check big time. I'm on, I'm, on, uh, I'm on notice. And what does that look like? It means don't drink anymore for a while. You fucking, you're sketchy. <laughs> right, because you're not drinking like a gentleman. So I was not a gentleman. Yeah, exactly. That was. I usually, if I have a couple beers, I get tired and I go to like. So it's no, no harm, no foul. But that was that was completely different. I was, I was up too late. That's the other one. I, I even if I don't drink, I can't be up until three in the morning. It's yeah, wrecks me. Wrecks everything. I, I can't. I literally can't. You know, I, my body shuts down. It just shuts down. Yes. Uh, well, I unfortunately made it to three. Explain this to me, though, because there's another piece from the beginning that I was just unsure of. I feel like rarely do you hear about an extreme athlete, because whatever you want to call about yourself, it's an extreme athlete. You know, you're like this big, adventurous, athletic dude, correct? Sure. All right, whatever. Fuck it. Extreme athlete. Um, And then your desire was to be on the radio. Not really. I mean, my desire, you know, I just knew, it was more Tony Hawk knew. I, I knew I was funny, but I, I just never thought anybody would hire me. And Tony thought that I'd always be a great radio guy and offered me a job, but serious. I didn't audition or anything. It was an accident. And then when I started on his show, the day I started, I, I could tell that this is the first time I've ever done anything where I actually had a natural talent at it because at skateboarding, I do not have it right at all. And I, and I made it to the fucking top three in the world with no fucking talent. And I'm like, man, can I have a job in radio? Because I feel like I could actually do something here. And what do you think? I think I'm doing pretty good. Right on. Because kind of right. What's your, what's your favorite thing about doing your radio show? Um... Making dick jokes for millions of dollars. Right. And I mean, did you get on Sirius? Were you on the Stern show after you were on Sirius or was it before? No, I was on, I was on way before. So you were always on Sirius from, from Tony yeah. Hawk. Yep. My Tony Hawk show. And then I became a DJ and then the DJ geek, I started talking in between songs too much. And then I argued with my boss's boss if I could keep talking. And he said, people seem to like it. Go ahead. And then I just talked for a flat-out hour and played two songs, and I turned my DJ gig into a talk show without anybody really knowing. And it got big. It got bigger and bigger, and people started, at Sirius started giving me more and more power. And then someone was like, hey, you should go on the Stone Show. And I'm like, you think? And then I think the only reason I got on was because a friend of mine that had been on there who was friends with Howard, Bob Levy, pitched yeah. the put M&Ms in your foreskin, dude. And that's how I got on. That's the, that's how it really happened. So you put M and M's in your foreskin, and that's how you. Yeah, got first the reason I got on stone is because I got butt naked and put a bunch of M and M's in my foreskin. That's that's how you make it. You know, I went on stone. Same mindset that day as I did when I was like uh, in the X Games. Like I was, I was playing for fucking keeps. I was like, this is gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it right now. I'm gonna make it. <laughs> I remember being in the taxi on the way back to the airport. I was like, you did it. You did it. Whatever the fuck I did. 
No, but that's that's a whole fucking next level lifestyle, to be honest. To do what is necessary in the moment. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't feel like I feel like I've failed at a million moments. I was on the Howard Stern show Everybody once. Does. I, oh yeah, what'd you do? I lied. M&Ms in your dick? No, I, I don't have a foreskin, so I just dropped M and M's on my penis and they just kinda went to the ground. It was like uh, not it was sad. not No, I um I came up with this ridiculous story. I had a show on um I had some weird show on this cable network years and years ago and I decided the only way that it would be as big as I wanted it to be was if I went on the Howard Stern show and I figured I didn't have a foreskin to put M&M's in and I didn't want to drag my girlfriend to get naked and I didn't want to get naked and stand with like a billboard that said I love Howard so I decided to lie and I and which you don't do I, I used to do it a lot and I decided, like, that I would lie and, and say that my show was taking a poll. My show aired on colleges, college campuses, and I said that, um, that, that it, was, it was 1999, and I said that my audience had voted Howard to be, my show was called Shuffle, it was a music show, and they called it uh, the Shuffle Entertainer of the Millennium was Howard Stern. And um, and he loved it, you know. And I had a little bowling trophy made up that said "Shuffle Entertainer of the Millennium," and um, and I was already drug addict at that point. And um, I stayed up the night before with my girlfriend doing heroin, and I felt too tired, so we started doing coke. And I think we probably dropped ecstasy at some point that night too. And and we started walking up to K Rock in Manhattan. And when I by the time I got there, I was just totally clear. You know what I mean? Like between the nervousness, the dope, the coke, and the ecstasy, I looked sober somehow. I was, you know, and. Um, and uh, and Howard believed me. He accepted the award, the award, and he started thanking. Wow. He thanked Don Buckwald. He thanked Gary. He thanked Robin. And then all of a sudden, he thanks me. And that's when Robin goes, "Are you a fucking idiot, Howard? This kid is obviously high." And Howard kicked me out at that point. <laughs> she ratted you out. She totally ratted me out, which was which was awesome. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. No, that's awesome. To be recognized as being high on the Howard Stern show for me was a total rite of passage. Um, of course, it led to you know many, many, many years of inactivity, only to reemerge as a as a sober podcast host with a waiter job on the side. So yeah, you, you understand? Yeah, I'm totally on fire. I want to ask you something else. When you were on the Stern show, you hadn't done dope in years. Were you using then the first time? No, because that's when already. Oh, wait a minute. I mean, I might have. I mean, when you talk about dope, no smoking weed, do you mean? No, I meant I. I no, oh, I meant I meant no. hard drugs. You were you were just you no, were just like a stoner. Radio. By the time I was in radio, I was not doing hard drugs. And Artie was there when you were there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you sense Artie's like total? He was on that day. I've been there four times. He had he had a couple good ones, a couple bad ones. I could tell a little bit. You know, we we actually I spent two years trying to get Artie on dopey. Okay. And on, yeah. the, on the third year, we got him on. Um, How'd that go? Uh, it was fucked up. It, it was Chris was still alive. My partner was still alive, and we went to um, to uh, Hoboken to interview him. Okay, yeah. um, and. I was so naive, I didn't realize that they were both high. You know what I'm saying? I, oh, okay. I, and Artie was fucking, he seemed to be totally high on coke. And Chris, I think, was high on coke and dope. And I was sober. And, um, and that was the last time I saw Chris alive. But it was a pretty, pretty monumental interview. It was crazy. It's a crazy story. You know what I'm saying? Crazy. 
But, yeah, that, that's another level right there. I don't know how he does it. I don't know how he's alive. Artie? Well, I think he's getting help now. I think I, I have great hope that Artie's going to get it together. I hope so, man. I've never seen anybody do that to their nose before. It looks crazy. I know, I know, I know. It's like he, but he wasn't chasing the dragon. I don't know how anyone chases the dragon. Like, I don't know how that's a preferred form of using. I didn't know. I, that was the only way I thought you could consume it. I only knew one way. I wasn't trying to cancel anybody about how to get high. It was kind of secret, you know? No, I hear you. I, I just, when we started doing dope tar, um, what my friend did, I had a buddy, he was like, he would empty out uh, an Afrin bottle of nasal spray, and he would yeah. put the tar in there with water, and we would just squirt the heroin up our noses at first. Right. And he didn't lose yeah, anything. You know, whatever. I snorted off his spray before. It's terrible. Yeah, it's gross. Um, so, like, you have a crazy audience, the Wolf Knives. Uh, I guess so. I don't really want to name The Wolf Knives is my clothing company, but yeah, some people are Wolf Knives, I guess, because they get a name and shit like that. Like, oh, I, 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 a lot of people know each other, you know? Like, they don't even, they all hang out with each other, but without the show. It's like their own family. Well, that's fucking amazing. And I really do appreciate you coming on. I really no, do. And, um, you know, fucking hell. How do I get a show on Sirius? What do I do? Um, just like going tour with Tony Hawk and break a couple bones. Skateboard on my knees. Or so. Knock Try- yourself out like 20 times. Yeah. Do a couple of them on TV. Yeah. Say some tough shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't see it happening for me. But, um. It's, o- it's overrated. No, shut the I'm fuck sorry. up. You're in your jacuzzi, <laughs> you know, about to do an interview about pansexual lifestyles and then taking bong hits. Fucking, what did, what did the sober community in, uh, in L.A. say when you, you know, started drinking and smoking weed? Did they give you shit or I no? Seen, I haven't seen them. The only thing I, like, at one point, <laughs> Dax stopped talking to me and he thought that I was using it and I wasn't. But he thought that I was only hanging out with him because he was famous. And I was like, oh, man, like... You guys are all total letdowns. Like, it made it worse to me. Made me less attracted to sober people. But all the people that I was friends with in those meetings, I think they were awesome people. I really felt a, a, a bonding with a lot of those guys in there. So You I miss them? No yeah, they were friends. I don't have many friends. I don't really like hanging out with people. I'm not really social. I don't go out that much. So... I had some dude friends there for a little bit, and we all talked about some shit on a Tuesday. Was, I, I do miss that a little bit, but well, you know that you can always go back. You know what the fuck? I've heard that. I've heard you that. You can go back if you want. You know? Do you know Steve Jones? Uh. Uh-uh. He's the guitar player from the Sex Pistols. I, I, he's like he's got a he's got like the best radio show in L.A. You never heard Jonesy's oh, yeah. jukebox? Uh. Uh-uh. Dude, you've never heard Jonesy's jukebox? Where do you live? I don't know. In a cave. But where do you live? You live in Los Angeles, right? Oh, yeah, Hollywood, yeah. Yeah, listen to Jonesy's jukebox. I think it's on 95.5. He oh, was terrestrial radio? Yeah, man. He, yeah, he, listen to him. He's great. No, no you're yeah, not going to listen to him? Commercials. I hear you. I hear you. Anyway, I really do appreciate uh, you coming on. If you And I know you don't want to be my friend, but if you ever want to give me a call, you ever need anything, <laughs> I'm always here for you. You know what I'm saying? Thanks, no, thank you. I really appreciate it. Of course. That's very nice. Cool, man. So thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. No worries, dude. Have All a right. good one. Take it easy. Later. Later All right, so there we have the not sober but very cool uh, Jason Ellis of Australia, professional skateboarding, and the Jason Ellis Show. And now we also have another person from California, 
dopey original regular guest and my old sweet friend Aurora. Hey Dave. Hi Dopey Nation. What's going on, Rory? Oh, you know. Just just chilling here in SoCal. Yeah. Not in a jacuzzi, but Yeah, you've been seeing Jason Ellis skate skateboard by you in the freeway and such? <laughs> no, I think he uh, I think he lives by the beach. I think he's got a, a sweeter life. Sweeter and still not sober. Does that make you rethink your decision to be uh, uh, clean and sober? Because maybe if you were smoking weed and drinking, you'd be in a jacuzzi someplace hosting a no. show on Sirius. No? No, no way. No way. I'm thinking about trading it all in so I can get the jacuzzi and the Sirius show. Because I want, <laughs> I, want, I want both of those things. And also, you think like... That's what you'll get? Huh? You think that's what you'll get? If I if I relapse, do you think I'll be hosting yeah. a show on Sirius and in a jacuzzi? Yeah, uh, I fucking doubt it. I, I, I doubt it. <laughs> but um, but it's still a fun idea, you know. <laughs> I think you'll go from Suffolk to Nassau County. That'll be what happens to you, dude. I'll go. I'll. I'd probably go from Suffolk County to. Uh, I don't think I'd go to Nassau. I think I'd wind up back where I am right now at my father's house. I think I'd be, I'd wind up back in my old bedroom. Oh boy. But um, I thought he was – it was an interesting guest, and I really believe um, that it's very interesting to be in recovery, and it's like – it really conjures up – you know, so many people uh, say they're in recovery and they use X, Y, and Z. You know, I'm in recovery, but I drink a little bit. I'm in recovery, but I smoke a little bit. You know, stuff like that. Have you, have you noticed uh, things like that? Oh yeah, especially lately. I, I uh, I've been around a lot of people who are trying to get sober, and they're not, you know, using heroin or meth, but they are getting stoned. Um, and they don't seem to understand that that's not sober, you know, and that if you're just, you know, going to outpatient or you're going to some meetings, it's not the same as being in the middle and actually working the 12 steps of a 12-step program. Well, that was the other thing where he said he was going to meetings and he had gotten, I think, two years clean, but he hadn't worked the steps. And it's like, I, I can, la- I like scoff at him now. It's like, huh, you were going to meetings and you didn't work the steps. But it's like, I went to meetings forever and I didn't work the steps. Like I didn't, I didn't realize that I was supposed, I mean, I knew I was supposed to, but I didn't think I had to. And, uh, and I didn't really think there would be, I didn't anticipate the psychic change that actually happened from it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then now I talk to people who are struggling, and I always kind of give them all that basic 12-step stuff, which is like go to meetings and, and do what's suggested and things get easier. You know, that's what I always say. You go to meetings and you do what's suggested and things will get easier. Like, And that's just – it's annoying, though, that I've become a person that says that even though it totally worked for me. Well, I mean, you learned it the the long way and maybe the hard way, you know, and so you want to, like, let other people know what your experience is. Like, I, you know, I wish in retrospect I had worked the steps earlier and maybe I would have been sober 10 years earlier, you know? Well, did you, were you ever exposed to 12-step stuff then? I mean, I, I mean, I was, I would go with my great aunt. She would take me to, to her AA meetings when I was a kid. So I went to a few of them and then I went to a couple Alateen meetings, but I, 
I always felt like Alateine meetings because uh, your parents were both addicts and alcoholics. Right. 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 And I felt shame. Like I felt like everybody was like, "Oh, this poor little girl. Her mom's that terrible drug addict." You know. I, I felt. Uh, a lot of defiance and a lot of shame, you know? Yeah. So, and I didn't really, I didn't really get the steps either, you know? I didn't get, and oh, I mean, it's only through like three years of being sober. I mean, it's only in the last year that I've gone through so many painful experiences that I actually started relying on the steps for the relief, you know? I mean, definitely the first two years, it was like, you know, it was like a chore to do the steps. Now I kind of like, oh, step work helps me. It, re- it relieves this, you know, this pain and this uncomfortability. So I want to do it. You know, I, when I came in, I was in, I was in so much pain that the steps totally worked to relieve me of the pain of my psychic misery. And, um, and now I'm actually redoing the steps. I have this, uh, I have this new sponsor, uh, on Long Island and he's like this very muscly, uh, tattooed guy, right? He has like, he has tattoos all over his neck. He's got tattoos on his knuckles that say real deal. He's got nice. he's got tattoos like up his his wrists. You know, he's like one of these like he's he's like a contractor from Long Island and but he's got 15 years clean and he seems incredibly happy and he's totally in tune with the steps. So I'm redoing him, you know? Fuck Good. it. You know? I love how in that interview you're like, yeah, I've got four years sober. Then you're like, oh, wait, well, I guess I really only have three and a half. Well, yeah, I'm, count- I'm counting on the next six months to go smoothly. <laughs> wait, wait, I mean, like, it, it's like, it's funny as time goes by, you kind of project onto your clean time, I guess, you know? So Aurora has been gone for a long time in California. She lived in New York forever. Me and her used to go to the same meeting, and she moved to California on a long-time production job. And recently, that has changed. Right, Rory? Yep. The the gig ended, and so I'm searching for my next one. So I haven't been working for the past six weeks, um, which is not comfortable for me. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty about um, what will be the next job and when it will start. And... um, you know, financial insecurity and a lot of unstructured free time, which I don't love. Um, but, you know, that means that it's been nice to have time off and, um, you know, it's brought out. I can see, like, the growth that I'm doing better uh, between gigs than I used to do. I just want to say, I hold think- on, hold on, real, really quickly. I want to just say Aurora works in television production and she... It's always like a freelance gig. So a gig starts and then a gig ends and then there's a little bit of time between the gig and I've been friends with Aurora a long time and I know every time a gig ends there's like that panic that the next one isn't around the corner, you know, as quickly as you'd like. Right? Yep. So yep, like but Please. Evidence shows I've always I've always worked, I've always gotten the next job, um, although sometimes it feels like, you know, oh god, I'm never going to work again. But, you know, I've seen growth, like I'm more comfortable in this uncertainty than I've ever been. And, you know, it's given me and it also brings out my character defects, too. Right. Like, uh, you know, 
yesterday I felt crazy when I woke up and I felt like I hadn't been focused enough on job searching in the last week. And so, you know, I changed up my schedule and my routine for yesterday and I spent more time, you know, sending out emails and looking for stuff and, and I felt better, you know. I knew yesterday I was like, I feel fucking crazy. I'm in pain. I'm uncomfortable. If I do things even just a little bit differently, I know that I'll feel better. And 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 it worked, you know, I did. And um you know, having this time off, I've been going to a lot of meetings, um, you know, going to like women's step study and I was able, I've gotten, um, a few sponsees, um, in the last few weeks, which is something I really wanted. And, you know, it's been tremendous. Why don't you tell, why don't you tell us how you, you've gotten the sponsees? Um, just by being, you know, involved, going to these regular meetings um, where the there's a lot of people, there's a big meeting, and there's a lot of people that are live in sober livings and just out of rehab. I thought there was and, some Shabbat thing. Well, I'm friends with some folks that own sober livings, and so I've been going um, to their house for like a women's big book meeting, and then. Um, on Fridays they have Shabbat dinner and so I've been invited a couple times to Shabbat and so some of the Do you um, dazzle them with your knowledge of Judaism at the Shabbat dinner? (laughs) I think I went to Shabbat dinner with you once like 20 years ago and that's the only other Shabbat dinner I've been to I don't know. I don't know why. I, I don't. I don't think I ever went to. I don't think I've been to a Shabbat dinner myself since I was a little kid. Um, or maybe once I went with you to Passover. Or something. Yeah, you definitely went yeah. to a Passover. But so, did yeah. you dazzle them with your knowledge of New York City Judaism or no? I think I, I like tried to pull out what little Yiddish I knew. Right. But no, I did. I did not dazzle them. You didn't dazzle uh, the California they, Jews. They dazzled me. The food was so good. All right. And what did you eat? Just because I know my dad's listening, and he'd love to hear uh, about whatever Jewish food you might have eaten on Shabbat dinner. What did you eat? You know, the best, the best challah from the best Jewish bakery in Los Angeles with homemade tahini, baba ganoush. Um, we had uh, beet soup, you know, basically like a vegetarian borscht. Um, we had brisket, salmon. Uh, they had a little curry on it. I don't know if that's a little unorthodox. It, it all sounds very, very like hipster Jewish shit. Baba ganoush on Shabbat. Uh, maybe I just came from, you know, I think my, my Jewish roots are too buried in fucking Flushing, Queens, where we didn't have anything like that. But um, whatever. Uh, it sounds like uh, it's cool to be a part of it. And, and tell us about your sponsees. Yeah, I've got three sponsees, and they all have less than 60 days' time. Wow. And Is that crazy? Yeah, they're all in sober living, and, um, you know, they're all, they all have a lot going on in their lives, and, um, and it's, been, it's been cool, you know? And I'm like, how do I do this? Oh, my God, like, what do I do? And I'm just like, okay, all I can do is give my experience, strength, and hope, and, you know— kind of refer to how my sponsor led me through the steps and um you know and then put my own twist on it too you know and I think like I don't I I'm just trying to get to know them and and have them get to know me so like we build a trust and we're comfortable with each other and also like I think like the a living sober book like living sober seems to be a lot bigger in New York than it is in Los Angeles so like I've been reading living sober with them um 
you know, has some good suggestions and also like it goes over like what a sponsor is and isn't, um, which a friend of mine out here suggested to me that that's what he does with his sponsees. And I thought that was kind of a good idea. And, you know, I go to the book study with some of them. And so, um, they, you know, they are familiar with the big book, but one of them is like, I, you know, I read the big book and none of it makes any sense to me. Um, so, you know, I get that, that in, in early sobriety, you know, sometimes the big book seems like, what the fuck is this? Well, nothing Uh, makes, nothing made sense to me in early recovery, like literally. But so what did you tell her? You know, I said, don't worry about it. I said, you know, you should try to find a home group meeting that you like. Um, Let's keep meeting once a week. Um, You know, I think I'm going to read step one with her out of the 12 and 12. And I think like, you know, I think once she has, she's got like a week and a half. I think once she has a little more clean time, like, all right, read the doctor's opinion and Bill's story and let's talk about it. Do you read it with them? Yeah. Yeah. You got to do that, I think. I mean, I, I don't have a sponsee. Yeah. I, I don't think I ever... I had a sponsee for like a day. Um, and, uh, and I think you got... I mean, what I've, what I've done... Well, I guess my new sponsor isn't doing this. And I think it was really my worst sponsor that I ever had did this. They sat and they read the book with me and explained it. But I think if I, if I ever get the chance to sponsor anybody, I would do it like that. Well, I think you'll be a great sponsor. Well, I've been sponsoring you for years. <laughs> that's true. You're my side sponsor. You're one of my spiritual advisors. Yeah, that's that's sad. The funniest thing to me, <laughs> the funniest thing to me is I've known you. I've known you for a long time, right? Um, yeah. I can't think of anything you've ever been this devout about in your life, except for being a stoner. Like, can you think of anything you've ever... I mean, like, listen to you. You're talking about living sober, the 12 and 12 in the big book, uh, in the same sentence where you know all this shit. Have you ever been such a owner of, like, esoteric knowledge of anything like this? No. I mean, it's incri- I mean, it's crazy. It really... I mean, it is a new freedom a new happiness a new life like that psychic change it's fucking crazy and you know i mean i don't know dave if you found yourself saying something out loud and then you'd like look around like who the fuck just said that yep and it's me i said that and it's wisdom that i picked up you know from aa and from the growth that i've had by working the program one one thing that i found is like and uh, you're right. Like when I'm 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 bragging that I have four years when I have three and a half or whatever, and uh, and I also find myself doing things that aren't, you know, as spiritually upright as I could be doing. You know, I find myself getting angrier than I've been in a long time. I find myself holding on to resentments uh, and having resentments that I just shouldn't be holding on to and having getting really mad. And when I told the new sponsor about it, he said something that I've heard before, and I wonder if you've heard this too, that you hear about, you know, you see a lot of people at meetings who have uh, under five years uh, clean, and then you see a lot of people at meetings who have over 10, but you rarely see the people between five and 10. Um, And he said that when he was at a point like that, that he, 
you know, his ego became bigger and he, you know, he strayed from AA and this and that. And, um, and he said that it was good that I found uh, somebody to work with again. And I think he's right because I need to like, I don't want to fuck this thing up. And even if I'm like abstinent, if I have these feelings, I'm not exactly sober, you know? Exactly. Yeah. I saw my friend Brendan speak um, this week and I'd never heard him speak before. And he was, you know, a friend, he's a friend of 20 years. Um, So I knew him when he was drunk and I heard him speak and he said something that really struck me. He said, you know, whenever I have a thought, whatever thought I'm having, I think to myself, does this thought enhance my sobriety? Does it support my sobriety? And it just like, I was like... Whoa. I find that shit to be very hard. And it's like, I also, it's like, I'm so, I'm so stuck between like just disgust. Cause at my meeting, what they say is, does that thought bring me closer to a drink or further away from a drink? And I'm like, fuck you. You know, I'm not close to a drink. It doesn't make me further away from a drink. I just, I don't like that kind of talk. But when your friend says, does that, is that, what does he say exactly? Does this thought enhance my sobriety? Right. That just becomes like a freaky idea of self-policing that I'm not exactly comfortable with, but it's the next level. You know what I mean? That's the next level of spirituality, of sobriety, whatever. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's why it really struck a chord with me. Now, um, I'm going to change the subject for a I second. I want to tell a quick story. All right, great. Um. So I was working with one of my sponsees this week and we were reading Living Sober, her and I, back and forth. And this woman was sitting next to us in the coffee shop charging her phone and she leans over. She's like, excuse me, are you guys trying to quit drinking? And we're like, ah, well, you know, we're not, we're not drinking. And she was like, oh, yeah, I haven't had a drink in 15 years and I was going to suggest to you, I did hypnosis and that's what helped me to stop drinking I haven't had a a drop since I was hypnotized and she was like you know a lot of my friends would go to AA and I I go to went to some of those meetings but that would never work for me AA would never work for me but hypnosis did and um you know so she and I go back to working together yada 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 the next day I'm in the morning meeting and who is fucking sitting there but this woman from the coffee shop sitting in the meeting and I just thought you gotta be kidding me I I just I don't know what that was about and and if she you know felt compelled after seeing us like reading literature to to check out a meeting or I you know I don't know but it was just insanity so you didn't confront her no no you didn't say Uh, what the fuck bitch I thought you don't like meetings my sponsee said to me you know what when she said she got hypnotized, I thought, what the fuck am I doing any of this shit for? I should just get hypnotized and be done with it. And then, you know, there she was in the fucking morning meeting. And I was like, you see, it only works if you work it. Like, here is this woman who said, like, A, it didn't work for her. And here she is sitting in this meeting. I wish I wish you had confronted her, though, because maybe she was lying the day before. Like, what a weird thing. That's a really weird story, I think. Yeah. I want to get hypnotized though. I would love to get hypnotized. I'm not I'm not exactly sure what I would do with it, but like maybe I would get off chocolate, you know, I'd get off sweets. Maybe I could be like more of a, 
you know, like a, a pious person, more of like have more of a, a program. Maybe I could get hypnotized to have more of a program. Maybe you could get hypnotized to be less of a pussy. Maybe I not could. Ride a, Maybe. Not ride a skateboard on your knees. <laughs> that made me crack up. I, I was, um, you know, I was re-listening to the interview, and like we were like eleven years old doing that. It makes me sound like I was like nineteen on my knees. We were like eleven in Stuyvesant Town, me and Robbie and Dave, and um, fuck it, you know, I, I can't, I shouldn't have said that. And then you're mocking me in this part. <laughs> how dare you? Uh, can we fucking talk about how we're ten days away from the Game of Thrones premiere? We're, that that's not yet. We're gonna get to that, but yes, we can. What do you know? What do you know about the the game? First of all, what did you think about hearing that I was so much of a pussy that I skateboarded on my knees? What did that make you think? No, it, it endeared you to me even more, Dave. How? Di- okay, so it's Game of Thrones premiere is coming up. Are you prepared? I'm. I'm ready. I'm so ready. I mean, I have rewatched every season probably twice. I'm pumped up. I have a I have a new theory. Um, you have what? I have a new theory. Okay. I think, you know about what I think is going to happen in the end, and I'm just like super excited. All right, what's your theory? Um, I think that maybe uh, we're going to end up with the wolf pack. That in the end, it's going to be Arya. Um, and Jon Snow and um, Sansa, and that maybe Daenerys is going to have a baby, and she'll die, but the baby will live, and it will, will be left with the wolf pack. But Jon Snow isn't even a Stark. He's a fucking whatever she okay. is. I know, I know. What so is she John called? Is not, what is she? So maybe it's just Arya, Sansa, and the baby, and Jon is dead, I don't, and, and Daenerys. I don't know. Well, what makes you think that? I don't know. It's just a... Uh, just an intuition. Just I, a feeling. I'm I mean, just there's so ho- many there's like so many theories and I'm sure like I'm, i I would love to hear what the Dopey Nation thinks. Well Dopey Nation, if you have any thoughts about what's gonna happen with Game of Thrones, you should write Aurora an email. Aurora, I guess I don't want to hear about it. What's your email address, Aurora? Give it out on the show. <laughs> um seriously, I think I love Game of Thrones. You and I spent lots of time watching Game of Thrones. But if I want to be really, really truthful, that last season was disappointing to me. Like, I didn't like it. I did not like the way they set up the relationship between Jon and fucking Daenerys. I thought there was no chemistry. I thought they rushed that shit in a way that I didn't like. I I just think they did a lot of weird shit there. And um, I hope that this last season is satisfying. You understand? I, I understand. I hope it's also satisfying. You know what I'm doing now? I've doubled back and I'm watching Mad Men again. I haven't gone there yet. I find Mad Men to be the most relaxing of all of these shows. Because it's like creativity and inspiration and history and like broken family. And I just fucking, I really, 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 really find it relaxing. Um, But I've got problems because I keep watching the same five shows over and over and over. I mean, I just watched the show Formula One Racing doc on Netflix. Talk about fucking zero to 100. I love that shit. I love that show. It's good. good. So good. You want to hear a crazy story? Yeah. It's kind of akin. I don't know if it's really akin to your uh, 12-step meeting hypnotist story, but... um, Yesterday, 
Uh, I was with, you remember Toast that I work with, the guy Toast? No. I work with this guy Toast. He's a meat cutter. And the two of us went to do a catering event at Viacom, okay? Uh-huh. And we're doing a party at Viacom, and there's this huge line to get sandwiches, and this dude goes to the front of the line, okay? And he looks at me, and you know what he says? What? Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Whoa! And I said, shh, don't tell anybody. And, uh, and he said, yeah, nobody can know about me either. And he walked away, and Toast was like, oh, shit, that's like old school. Like, like that it was like some secret society or like Fight Club. And the Dopey Nation is like a fucking secret society, Aurora. What do you think about that? That is so fucking cool. It's, I love that. I, I love really, that story. Doesn't it amaze you at, at how big this shit is getting? I was amazed when you told Jason that you had 5,000 Aussie Dopey Nation fans. I don't think that's really true, by the way. Oh. I think we have less. If you're, if you're an Australian Dopey fan, you should write an email to dopeypodcast at gmail.com because I should be taking a head count. There's no way we have 5,000 Australian fans. I would guess it's 1,500, but that's still a decent number, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not quite 5,000, but it's a decent number. Now, you've been listening to the show more now that you have time on your hands, correct? Yes, I have. And any, any, and any thoughts, any questions, anything you want to know? Um, what were your thoughts on um, Mr. Lenny Dykstra? Lenny, I mean, I, I like the Lenny, you know... It made me uncomfortable. He did. He had that, like, you know, Bradley Cooper in A Star is Born, like, fucking gross high voice that really skeeved me out in the beginning. But then I, like, settled into it. Um, You know, I thought it was a good interview. I thought it was interesting. I thought there was a lot of justification still in his part um, for not being sober, you know. Um, Did you hear there's a big there's a big Lenny Dykstra story in the news right now? Have you heard it? No. Well, apparently in the news, there's a a pitcher uh, who used to play for the Mets named Ron Darling, uh-huh. and um, and he wrote a book about himself. And in the book, he says that Lenny Dykstra had been hurling racial epithets. Is that the word epithets? Do you know that word? Uh, I do know that word. Um. Anyway, at, at but this, I don't know how to pronounce it correctly. You know, epitaphs? I, I always thought it was epitaphs too. But recently, Sam told me that it's not epitaphs; that's epithets. I always thought it was epitaphs too. Dopey Nation, if you have a, a hunch on this, you should write us an email. Uh, epithet versus epitaph. Anyway, he was supposedly, according to Ron Darling, hurling racial slurs at a, a pitcher named Oil Can Boyd. And so this is this big, crazy controversy in New York sports now. Does that interest no. you? No. One day I'm going to tell this Lenny Dykstra story, but it seems like today is not the day to tell it. Not the day. Um, so uh, did you see that I sent you some stuff? Did you listen to any of the stuff that I sent you? I read the, uh, I read the, the email. And I did not listen to the voice not yet. All right, why don't you read the email I sent you? Okay. You have it? 
Yep, give me one moment. So I'm going to pull it up. All right, hit it. Okay. Dear Dave, and I wish to God damn badly that I was addressing Chris here too. Like many others, I caught wind of Dopey via This American Life. At the time of my first listening, I was a round-the-clock drinker and weed smoker. The only time I wouldn't drink is when I was at work, but I always made sure to get a good load on beforehand. Marijuana vape cartridges, or carts as we call them where I'm from, made it incredibly easy and convenient to stay pretty fucking stoned all day. I started going through the dopey episodes from the very beginning, and now I'm at episode 77. When I first started listening, I was just along for the ride for y'all's stories and paying little attention to the recovery undertones. Chris once said that an alcoholic is someone who continues to drink despite negative consequences. This was good news to me, as I convinced myself that my substance abuse really hadn't caused anything terrible in my life. However, as I stayed on for the continuing episodes, there were nuggets of recovery wisdom that y'all shared along the way that really struck a chord with me. So much so that I'm writing you to you now with nine days of complete sobriety. I know that is nothing compared to the time that you and others in the community have shared, but it's the longest I've gone since I was at least 13 and now I'm 25. Well, how many, how many days? Nine days. All right, right on, man. Continue. The main purpose of me writing to you now is to express my utmost gratitude for helping me open my mind and turning my life around for the better. I have everything to lose by continuing abusing drugs and alcohol and nothing to gain. And just because tragedy has not struck my life yet doesn't mean it never will. Thanks again, Tractor Jack. Tractor Jack, thank you for the email. Isn't that a beautiful email, Aurora? Super beautiful. And nine days is a big deal. Nine days is a big deal, you know? Uh, he's definitely not projecting onto his two weeks like I projected onto my four years. He's not like, I have two weeks when he has nine days like I did, right? Exactly. He's staying in the moment. Tractor Jack, we'd love to hear from you again. Let us know how you're doing if you ever listen to this. Um, does does, does the, the growth of Dopey amaze you? I'm really proud of you, Dave. You've worked hard. What about the show yeah. itself? What about the music at the beginning of the shows? What do you think about that? I love the music at the beginning. Yeah. I love the chopped and screwed. Oh, you want to um, do a chopped and Let's do a chopped and screwed while we're there. Okay. Here we go. Hold on. I just want to say that this is not this is not my favorite chopped and screwed. Um, I, I love this Chopped and Screwed because I know everything that we're laughing about and all of the really old school dopey fans will probably remember the stuff we were laughing about, but new fans might not really get what we're laughing about, so I really recommend you go back and you listen to some uh, old dopey. So here we go. This is I'm skipping Chopped and Screwed episode six, which is titled Dave's Shtick, which I just think is too much of my own shtick. So we're going to go right to Chopped and Screwed number seven, which is, hold on, which is If We Were on Drugs. So here we go. Chopped and Screwed number seven from our buddy Wusta. Wusta. All right, here we go. Thank you, Wusta. We want more from you. If anybody out there in the Dopey Nation is good at, like, cutting up audio, uh, why don't you hit us up? We will hand over the Dopey archives to you, and we can you can create a little audio collage. What? You want to do something with those one-liners. So this is like a chopped and screwed episode. So we'll call it the chopped and screwed episode. <laughs>
I swear to God, this dopey episode would be like what dopey would be if we were on drugs. But, ooh, who's that? It's time for Soberlink. Soberlink. Well, I'll do it later. Did you see The Lion King? The I play? did. I, fi- I saw the movie finally. with my. Oh, oh did you see the play? No. Yeah, I see the play. Actually, I didn't even like it that much. <laughs> 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 Dude, they fucking They say that in The Lion King There's some sort of like You volunteer It's atrocious And uh it was. I was a real pot snob, but I was like, no, I'm not buying that. Chris is so funny because he's so easily amused. He's too crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. And uh, when our dog name was Chili's, no, no, he was. <laughs> <laughs> no, his name is Hoodie. Oh yes, there's no smell. It's medium. Medium. And I was talking one night. I remember this guy like interrupted me, and he's like, "Chris, he's like, you gotta talk about something else besides drugs." And I like, and he was genuine. He was being nice. You know what I mean? So like, I decided. I'm like, okay, like I'm gonna listen to this guy. And I remember, I had absolutely. Nothing to say. You're like, could you pass me the bread and butter, please? <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was good. Um, I couldn't find any magic. Siri's a dumb bitch. Fucking Siri, man. <laughs> Fucking Siri. Sucks. So, anyways, there was last episode. I told him to go this, suck a dick. This is it was shit, and I think I accidentally was fingering her her asshole, <laughs> and um. Oh my god, that's brutal, dude. Yeah, that's tough. This story is beyond, yeah. beyond, beyond. I like it, um, except that she's dead. PCP. Yeah, <laughs> we, we all know that word just from fucking trading places. Yeah, exactly. You know what this shit does to kids? <laughs> the limitless load and the limitless load. The limitless load. The limitless load. The limitless load. It's a limitless load. I was like, wow, I must be experiencing HPPD or hallucinogen persisting perceptual disorder. <laughs> Dude, you got plugged in with God. HP. (laughs) Chris plays Mark David Chapman to Artie's John Lennon, and he says, Mr. Lang, I have something for you. I think that's exactly what I said. You said that. I think I said, Artie, I got something for you. you You said, Artie. I have something for you. Don't reject me. I think I did too much. It was Flaka. Flaka. Hold on. I have have, have, have a a note, though, first. I would like you to read uh, the email we got. No, no, no. No, no, no. No, no, no. Hold on. No, no, no. I just have a question. All right. I got stuff. I got stuff. He was on the episode of the sober sober living resident who drank his own piss. On this, please email us up. Email, email us at. Um, which I always respect about him about that about him. You well, know, school board bitches. Th- school board. <laughs> <laughs> school girl biscuits. And uh, I think that early on, medic, med- uh, Matt, medication assisted. Treatment is super helpful for cravings. Edutainment at its The edutainment ec- epidemic. <laughs> the pan edutainment demic. Hold on. Dude. Dopey Nation, 
if you've ever spit on drugs and tried to draw that up, write us an email. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. <laughs> I don't under. I can't even believe that this is the story I'm hearing. <laughs> oh my god, something happened that I didn't tell you about. Are you talking to me? Yeah. No. Who am I talking to? <laughs> Who's here? I'm talking to you. Um, why would I do that? It's so fucking hurtful. They're like a total fucking pussy. Um, I don't know. I, and the, and I'm just large. a waiter. Espensa on the tira, serenos, camarades, la raza, buenos noches, and to go, jema usiku, asante, sakitu. What does that mean? I don't know. Like yeah. I found free weed. Dude, oh my god, I cream my pants. You know, taking hallucinogenics is like spiritual pornography. I always wished I was a midget. Because if I was a midget, I could fucking... You think how much more bang for your buck you get. You know what I mean? Like, your drugs go twice as far. Exactly. As soon as he's like, I used to I used to have five needles of coke ready to shoot up in the car at once. They'd be like, I know he doesn't kill anybody. Yeah. He's just a drug addict. <laughs> I pay attention to drugs and me. I'm sorry. I like you, and I hope you like me, too, because I like you, so you'll like me. Love me. Love me. So that's not the easiest chopped and screwed to really decipher, but the joy is there, right? Oh, the joy is there. Um, And speaking of joy, I don't know if you heard this thing I sent you. Did you hear this thing I sent you? Did you listen to it? No, I didn't have time. All right. Well, this is something that I've been wanting to talk about uh, for a long time, and I used to tell Chris about it all the time. But as Aurora knows, I work with a waiter named Ishmael, Ishmael, and he's from Egypt, and he's a very, very uh, funny and peculiar fellow. And the other morning, I was working with him, and once in a while when we're working, the kitchen will bring out fried chicken, okay? You listening? Yum, yeah. And I love fried chicken. And I was starving this morning, okay? So I take a, I take out a piece of fried chicken for myself and I put it on a plate. And then, uh, and then I take out one for Ishmael and I take out another one. And they were like two wings and a leg. And I went and I start working. And when I come back, all the fucking chicken is gone. Okay, and I didn't get any of the chicken, and I was fucking so angry, you know. And you know me; I can get so mad in a spot like that. I was just fucking furious. And Ishmael was like, "What? I did not take the chicken wing. I didn't take the wing." And then I was like, "Do you want me to fucking check the cameras in the store?" And of course, as it turned out, Ishmael took the wing and recorded this. So hold on. And Ishmael's never been on the show before. I've done imitations of him on the show, but this is the first time Ishmael's actually going to be on the show. So it's a it's a pretty important day in Dopey Land. Hold on. Hello, Dopey Nation. This is Ishmael. Ish. Uh, I gotta tell you something. Uh, I stole a chicken wing from David. From my friend David this morning, and he's mad at me. I can't help it. I love wings. All right, what do you think? I can't believe that's the first time Ishmael's been on the show. He says, I can't help it. I love wings. 
Uh, and Ishmael, Ishmael, and, and we, were, we actually recorded that like a month ago, and every week he goes, David, did you play my bit on your show yet? And every week I'm like, no. And he's like, what the fuck, man? Why don't you play the bit? And, um, and Ishmael like has a few catchphrases. Like he says, unbelievable. And he says, if we're doing bad in a day, he says, if I make $150, I'll be dancing. And he just has a few catchphrases that he always will say. And um, so I wanted to make an Ishmael doll. Um, like kind of a plush version of Ishmael with his blue jacket and stuff, and he, and, yeah. he, and he's like, he's like, yes, we sell the Ishmael doll, but we'll just call it Ish, and he he yeah. like he thinks it's this whole thing, and then there's this other thing where there's this kid that works at the restaurant and he works in the front, and he's one of the general manager's sons, and he started when he was very young, and Ishmael thought. His name is Justin, and Ishmael thought that Justin was super innocent, okay? Um, so Ishmael would say, oh, look at Justin. He's very innocent, like Jesus Christ. So I will call him Jesus Christ. And uh, so he started calling Justin Jesus Christ because he was innocent. And then, like, Justin will be doing something. He won't be paying attention. And Ishmael will be like, look at Jesus Christ, not paying attention to anything, not seating anyone. What's going on with Jesus Christ now? Um, and it's just, it's just so, I mean, Ishmael is like the funniest person in the world to me. Uh, he's also the classic uh, homophobic. He's not homophobic, but he does the classic. Uh, he'll be like, give me a matzo ball soup, faggot. And stuff like that. <laughs> he'll, he'll see me. He'll go. You are the greatest gay. Um, does, does he have any dopey stories from Egypt? Like when he goes back every year, or family members. Well, definitely not dopey stories. Ishmael is a devout Muslim. He prays all day. You know, he's he's dissatisfied. Sometimes he says he's dissatisfied in his marriage, and he calls his wife the bipolar, which is very funny. He says, "My my bipolar is making me crazy," which I love. Yeah, it's yeah, and it's always fun to share Ishmael stories. Anyway, and I haven't talked about Ishmael on the show in so long. Oh man, the other thing that I haven't mentioned is that this week I had this nightmare about Chris. I had I had a nightmare. It was so weird because it was so vivid, but I had a nightmare that Chris was still alive. Uh-huh. And he told me that he faked his death. Oh. And that um and that he just didn't want me to know that he was still alive. And uh it was just this crazy hurtful dream and that he wanted to do the show, but he was only friends with me on the show. It was crazy. It was a crazy dream. Um, I woke up in the middle of the night and I thought it, I thought it was real. Like I really yeah. thought it was real. And I was like yeah. in the dream. I was like, wait, but I saw your family. Wait, but I was at your funeral. And he was like, it was all fake. You know, isn't that crazy? That is crazy. I'm sorry. It's not. That hurt. Yeah, it's That's nuts. Crazy. It's nuts. How many dreams have you had about him? A lot. Really? Yeah, a lot. Um, wow. But I have. Do you have, a dream about, have you had dreams about your mom? Yeah, lots of dreams about my mom. Weird dreams. Wow. Do you have dreams about your mom? I have dream. I've had a few dreams about my mom and my grandma, but very like they're very rare. Like 
like maybe I've dreamt about my mom like five times in, in 19 years. They're always super, I get super emotional when I wake up. Yeah, I have weird dreams about my mom too. Like uh, they're always like, like it's 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 always understood that she's not supposed to be there in the dream. You know. Yeah. Um. But um, I want to play uh, an amazing dopey voicemail that I got. You want to hear okay. it? Yeah, let's hear it. It's from Iowa. There's a bunch of people in Iowa who listen to the story. There's this one guy named Matt who's this crazy, dopey super fan, and he wrote in uh, a story that might or might not be too long to read. But his buddy named Luke, who calls himself Juice, sent in a voicemail. And the voicemail is very debaucherous, so everybody just brace yourself. Um, But it's the perfect length. You ready, Rora? Yeah, let's hear it. All right. Hey Dave, it's Luke, aka Juice, uh, from Northeast Iowa. Figured I'd send you a little uh, dopey story. Long time listener, big fan of the show. Uh, so happy to see its uh, recent uh, success. But uh, I figured I'd drop you a little dopey story. So go back uh, about 15 years ago. I'm about 16 years old, and. Uh, uh, trying to get a little powder cocaine, me and my buddy. We'd been doing, you know, cocaine, pills, weed, and stuff like that. So uh, trying to get a little powder cocaine. And my friend, who I bought weed from, tells me uh, my dad can probably get you some coke. So we uh, end up going for a ride with him, giving him 60 bucks to get us some coke. He comes back to the car, and he says, uh, all I could get was hard. So he gives us two bags of crack 30 bags which looking back now i realize we're most likely 20s and we take them back to my house and uh and we know nothing of crack you know so we just get a weed pipe and just literally set the big crack like huge crack rocks in the pipe and and try to smoke them and it, it just melts down into the glass pipe and we don't get any smoke and and i vividly remember saying to my friend man crack sucks so we uh a couple weeks go by, my friend calls me and says, hey man, I actually took a hit from a real crack pipe. You got to put the stuff your mom keeps under the sink in it, which is chore boy, I know now. So fast forward another couple weeks, my friend gets a bunch of money, comes up on a few hundred dollars, I don't remember how, but he, uh, we meet up with my friend's dad again, and he decides to buy like uh, you know three hundred dollars worth of crack. So we're uh, up in my friend's dad's attic, which has an extremely extensive VHS porn collection and uh, probably six. 13-inch TV VCR combos on the wall, all playing different VHS pornos. And it's me, my 16-year-old friend, we're both 16, and probably a 55-year-old 20-year crackhead. So we commence to smoking crack. We have about six crack pipes going at this time, so we don't have to wait for them to cool down so we can just go like back-to-back-to-back hits. And after a while, we're like, we should do something. So my friend's dad looks over and says, hey, guys, we should get a hooker. And, and I'm 16. I'm not so much into hookers at the time. So I just say, uh, I don't know, man. I'm not having sex with no hooker. He then looks at me 
in just complete disbelief that I would mention having sex with a hooker. And he says, no, we're not going to fuck her. We'll just beat her up real bad. And uh, I'm 16-year-old, pretty green to the whole crack-smoking game, and uh, least to say I was, uh, I was a little taken aback. So fast forward, you know, maybe another hour, we're still continuing to smoke crack. The crack's about gone, so we pack up and we're leaving, and he asked me, uh, hey, before you go, can you do me a favor real quick outside? And I'm like, yeah, sure, man, no problem, whatever. So we get outside, and, and this is like in a city area. He has a small patch of grass with a large tent laying there. And he says, uh, can you help me with this tent? He's like, I'll put it up, and you get in it. And uh, this was my cue to get the fuck out of there. So anyways, that's my dopey story, Dave. Uh, love the show. And uh, stay strong, Dopey Nation, and toodles for Chris. You know, I know that's an insane story. Aurora, are you with me here? Yeah, dark dark times there. I, I don't want to say that I do not endorse beating up prostitutes or smoking crack or any of it. There's just something about the clarity of his voice and the delivery of the voicemail that I think makes it great. No? That was a fucking true dopey story and to be 16 and experience that is uh, some fucked up shit I think he escaped by the skin of his fucking teeth what about you yeah I think it, that was like a, that's what I kind of had in my mind that film uh, that film the room like <laughs> the guy was gonna like put him in his backyard for fucking 10 years sodomize him terrible yeah. anyway before we go I just want to read some some dopey reviews you ready yeah. All right, Where are these from? iTunes. Okay. <clears throat> this is um, real. Five stars from Ms. Betsy Brown. When you have an addiction to fight, real helps more than anything. This is raw and does it for me, and I wicked miss Chris. So thank Aww. you, Ms. Betsy Brown. Um, here's another one. Um I started listening not long ago when I got into recovery for weed addiction. Since that moment, I've been listening to this podcast every day and have 43 days clean now. This is from Julie's, Julie Zoller. Thank you for helping me stay strong. Five stars. I have 43 days clean now. Thank you, guys. You and Reddit uh, r slash leaves are keeping me on the straight and narrow, and I never want to go back to smoking weed. Even though it was fun to grow, I am done. Probably wouldn't be able to do it without my program and you guys. Even though Chris is no longer with us, I haven't listened that far yet. Thank you for helping me stay strong. I love the funny phrases like rope-a-dope and the scenes of New York and Dave's restaurant. I love the guy who wrote in saying he didn't know if he was a normie with afflicted tendencies, and Dave says, if you say that, you're probably just an addict. Uh, keep it real and stay strong, Dave. I'm also the creator of a live storytelling show in Oakland, California, and our April 20th show, 420, is all about drugs. Although I do a drug show every year, this will be especially good one since I'm no longer a stoner. But I still love to hear other people's stories. Maybe I can hit you with some dopey from that show when it's done. Peace. Listen, Aurora, tell me if I'm wrong. I mean, I, I still consider myself a stoner even though I don't smoke weed. Is that like a thing for you? Once a stoner, always a stoner, or no? 
Yeah, no, I do still identify as a stoner. So, and sometimes, like we were, when we were talking earlier, like I miss that nostalgia. Like, hey guys, you don't know what a stoner I used to be, right? Like, oh yeah, that you know that that kind of feeling. I, I talk um, about it at work all the time because everyone at my job smokes weed, and I I used to smoke weed with them. I used to sell. I, they're all like vaping weed now, and I was like selling them their first weed vapes, you know, and they act like. Uh, you know, they act like I'm fucking uh, a teetotaler when I used to yeah. sell them their fucking weed vapes. And I feel it makes me feel a little bit left out. I love being sober. Don't get me wrong. You know, you understand my point. I do. And, you know, but at the end of the day, like, I did it. I had that life. Um, I like this new life. I, I just, I do feel like I've got endless possibilities now. And, you know... I, I'm happy. I'm happy that that's behind me. And although, you know, it's fleeting. Those moments when I, when I think like, hey, I used to be a stoner too, they're fleeting. Can I tell you, you know? something kind of fucked up? Yeah. I think about dying from time to time, you know? And I, mm-hmm. and I think about like the end of my life and stuff. And I kind of feel like when I'm going to die, like when I know that it's the end for me, when someone tells me, that you have like a month to live or six months or whatever. Like I'm going to buy a record player. I'm going to buy fucking like $2,000 worth of records. I'm going to buy like six cartons of cigarettes. I'll buy a pound of crazy bud, a bong, a TV, and some kind of video game system and just spend the rest of my life listening to records, smoking cigarettes, and smoking pot. Once I know it's over. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know, and I've heard this from you before, and, you know, I hope that changes for you. I hope that you don't always feel like this, because, you know, I see it in a lot of ways as, like, making deals, you know? What do you know? But I just feel like I can't do it now. Like, if I spent a day doing that now, it would be a lifetime. But if it was the end of my life, I could just have a little, like, nostalgia kind of thing. It's like a silver lining of dying. I hear you, but it's like, I don't know, you already have that. Like, you have those experiences. Like, you can you can recall those those feelings of, like, you know what I mean? Like, I think about, like, the listening to the records that we listened to back when we were 20 years old, you know? Like, yeah. like listening to, like, Nashville Skyline or the feeling of listening to Miles Davis in a silent way. Like, trying to get back to that, like, ease and comfort and that feeling of... of of that time and place and it's like I have it like it's in me like it's in my memories and I and I don't know I I, that's a beautiful thing that's a beautiful thing but but when I'm when I have a little bit of time I mean like the fucked up thing is like when my kids walk in and they're like daddy why are you smoking cigarettes and playing double dribble and I'm like I'm dying let me die in peace I, I'm sure it won't be like that. I'm sure you're right. But it's a fun fantasy. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's just a fantasy. And I think it, you know, I think if you were really in the situation, that may not be what you want. You I'm know? sure. I'm sure. It's a fun, it's a fun nostalgic fantasy for me. Miss Holy Roller, Miss, Miss fucking six meetings a week, Miss fucking. Dave, I mean, you've, you've leveled up. I, I don't think there's going back. Miss sponsor of sponsees, you know, <laughs> give me a break. Please. All right, Please. let's um, let's say goodbye. 
Um, oh, you know who fucking came by work? Who texted me and came by work? Who? My new mentor, Mark Marin. Really? Yup. He texted wow. me. He's like, do you guys have real knishes or are they the frozen knishes? He's like, I'm in town. <laughs> so he came in and then we, we hung out a little bit. So I'm going to try to like make Mark Marin my new mentor. What do you think? I love that. I yeah. think you should totally do that. All right. Well, you know, if you guys uh, want, you follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I want to give a hearty, dopey hello to our Reddit follower, New York Upstate Engineer, who's just a brilliant writer. And uh, whatever's going on with you, we have your back. Be in touch. You're a genius. You're super funny. I want to thank Cormac for doing Reddit. I want to thank, um, you know, that dude... Uh, Foul Perolta, I think, who just did some amazing dopey art. Some other dude just did some amazing dopey art. Keep the songs coming. I want to thank you, Aurora, for coming on. You say you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's my pleasure. We want to thank Jason Ellis for coming on. And uh, stay strong, Dopey Nation, right? Toodles. And fucking toodles for Chris. I want to take a walk around the world. Wonder would it do me any good Until I get some money in my pocket Then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood But I want to be good so bad want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had Take a ride up in the sky Watch this airplane just pass me by And I want to see a Lear jetliner take a dive Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive But I want to be good so bad Want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had And my shadow's getting smaller smaller And it's time to where I stand Shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand And I wonder would they pay it any mind When I leave this busted city far behind Take the high road, however far it winds, because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find. And I wanna be good so bad. Wanna be good so bad, so bad. I wanna be good so bad. Bad desires all I ever had. Damn it, all these suckers make me mad. And it's all I ever had. It's all I ever had And these suckers make me mad And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had 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 And these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had